Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, EJ, this is a first in bootleg history. We were doing a backyard podcast in Seattle. I landed, what, like three hours ago-ish? I, I woke <laughs> up at 4 a.m. I was in Dallas last night for Bucks cowboys We're going to Seahawks-Broncos tonight in Seattle, which is why I'm here. Uh, Thursday, you and I were at Bill's Rams for the season <laughs> opener. Saturday, I was at Texas-Bama. So it's been a weekend for us uh i think i have not slept more than three hours for five days straight so uh the nfl season's here (laughs) but we're really excited because uh this is the first time i think i've gone to this many games in one weekend and it's been insane uh it has been utterly insane there's been a lot of good football we're going to talk about all of it Uh, At least most of it, I would say. (laughs) Uh, We have a lot of film to break down. We have some really fun stats that have possibly never happened before that occurred this weekend. All the normal stuff you come to bootleg for, uh, you know, learning about, talking about the game, all that kind of stuff. But before we get into all that, EJ, buddy, we have a very special drink. This is uh, Kayo, the Sherry Cask Edition, which we first had together in week one of last year. That's right. When we were in Vegas for that crazy Ravens Raiders game. And I think this easily one of the best whiskeys you and I've ever shared together. And you happened to find one bottle yep. up here in Seattle a few months ago. And uh, now we have it. So cheers to you, bud. Cheers to you. Uh, I first had this because of you. You introduced me to it at Nobu when we were in Vegas for last year's Monday night kickoff opener. Oh, God damn. And it is delicious and gorgeous oh. and um celebratory we are we just cracked this bottle open we were saving it for a special occasion and this is a special occasion um this season of bootleg is going to be like no other this is our third season that we're starting and we're going to cover the league from end to end we've certainly been to more of the games physically and we'll continue <laughs> to do that than we've ever been and it feels like a turning point so Cheers to you and many thanks. It's It's been three years of a lot of work, but <laughs> because of that a lot of work and because of everybody listening and watching this right now, uh, we landed our first title sponsor in bootleg history. So thank you, by the way, to Prize Picks for jumping on and being a title sponsor for the show, which allowed for us to have this batshit insane weekend of football. <laughs> and by the way, that's not stopping. We're going right back to Texas next week because we're going to Bengals Cowboys. And then I'm going to Miami the week after that. We're going to Buffalo, not to mention the Super Bowl and Shrine Bowl. Prize Picks is enabling us to do all of that and to make a ridiculous amount of content this year. So 
first of all, thank you to Jordan and all of our friends over at Prize Picks for that. More on them a little bit later. Also, thank you to the patrons who are kind of the foundation of everything, the backbone of everything. We wouldn't yeah. be here without you guys either. So thank you, everybody who has been a longtime listener and watcher. And, you know, we have four executive producers from our Patreon pool. So uh, this is this is the start of, I think, of a very, very, very special season. Yeah, it's going to be different. <laughs> uh, you're going to see more content. You're going to see more often. We'll we'll hit on all that during this stream. But uh, I think everybody had a ton of pent up energy. Sure felt like it this year. There was a build to week one that was not unlike other years, but it just felt like everybody was ready to pop. <laughs> and week one did not disappoint. So we'll. Uh, I mean, you saw the Bills fans in LA, man. That was. They represented. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. People ask me, oh, who's, you know, who are there more of, Rams fans or Bills fans? Because look, LA is a transplant city and people love to travel because the weather's nice and the stadium's new and it's amazing. So they're always going to get a really good traveling contingent of visiting fans. But both the Bills and the Rams wear blue. A darker shade of blue. So as you looked around the stadium, it was just all blue. But about half of it was probably Bills fans and the other half Rams fans. It was it was an insane scene. You know how I could tell there was more Bills fans? How? Zubaz? They were... Well, A, <laughs> yes. Uh, B, I think two hours before the game, I had already seen my third shirt with Josh Allen drawn as Jesus on it. Yep. Uh, but most of all, they were louder. Then they were very loud. Even though they didn't make up the entire stadium, I can only imagine how loud that game would be in Buffalo. That was the loudest away crowd I have ever heard in my life. The Rams had to go into silent count in their own stadium 20 minutes after unveiling their own Super Bowl banner, <laughs> and they were already in silent count. It was utterly insane. Yeah, yeah crazy game in a great building. SoFi gets loud with that roof on it i know it's got, oh, holes you got a bunch of, of drunk western new yorkers in there yeah the, uh, you know uh maybe not every game's like that it's my first game in sofi and we were right up near the rafters and it it holds the noise in that place generates some sound it was really loud i, I think raiders games yeah. or anytime the raiders come to town whether it's for the chargers or the ramps like that's next on my list is go to a raiders versus chargers or ramps game because if bills fans are loud there imagine when there's 80% away fans right. in the stadium, which is what typically happens for any Raiders game in LA because Raiders are the most popular fan base in LA by far. Like, that's really one I want to go to. But Yeah, we had that this weekend, so we'll talk about that game true. as well. But we'll kick into news and notes. A lot of things happen. Unfortunately, we have a bunch of impactful oh, injuries. Tough thing to lead with, but a lot of these injuries are going to shape the games you're going to see and teams' fortunes in the coming quarter half and three quarters sometimes the entire season so uh not the greatest or warmest or fuzziest thing to lead off with but one of the most important well we're gonna start with the one that uh at the game i was at last night Dak. uh they didn't really show the replay at the stadium so i didn't know what happened at the time but i saw it after i just saw him go to the locker room i was like what the hell's going on uh he smashed his thumb pretty brutally twice multiple, multiple times in a row yeah uh Shaq Barrett rushing I think was what really did I think he hit like hand-to-hand -hand or something like that and both times was hand-to-hand -hand, which yeah. is why I sent you the DM I knew they wouldn't show it especially after going to the Thursday game they didn't show any of the injuries in stadium so when you're in stadium it's very different than at home at home they will they will show the replay they will show what happened I knew he hadn't seen it because he was in the stadium and I was like man 
Dak just smacked his hand twice, two rushes in a row. First one, he basically powered his hand into a, a raised hand from a defender. Second one, you said Shaq Barrett came into his hand as he released the ball. Both of them looked difficult. Both of them looked painful. Neither one was the classic sort of drag the arm on the thumb, but came out, you know, what, an hour after the game. Jerry said he's going to need thumb surgery. So this is a... This is kind of a division-shaking injury. The Cowboys were on a kind of a narrow ledge to start with and losing their star quarterback for probably two the, months, you know, yeah. the most of the season. They're going to it's going to be like when Russell went out for Seattle last year. They're going to come if he comes back, he'll come back. They'll be in a hole presumably. Yeah. Um I don't see them rallying and winning a lot of games. This basically blows the NFC East wide open. We had liked the Eagles' chances there before, but the other three teams in that division won games yesterday, so it is it is wide open. We didn't really think they were going to have a chance of keeping up. Well, at least not didn't have a chance. It didn't have the best chance of keeping up with Philly as it is. Right. And especially with Cooper Rush, your starting quarterback for two months. No, thank you. I... I think they make a move. I don't know what move. I, I mused I mean, on Twitter we, last we night. We know what move. I, I mused on move. Twitter last night about Jimmy G, but uh, some folks uh, came back to that and said um, Mason Rudolph. Oh, no. Well, I'm I'm not excited about it, but look. They're, Is they're, anybody? Their they're <laughs> chances to be excited about their starting quarterback after Dak goes out are pretty low, but apparently the Cowboys were interested in whether or not he was going to be moved at the cutdown deadline or whether or not they were going to trade him. There were some inquiries there. Um, you know, they've got one of his receivers. James Washington is there in Dallas now. There, there's some links there. It's not an exciting prospect, but it's, let's be frank, it's more exciting than Cooper Rush because he looked wildly underprepared last night when he came in. So, If they want to survive and give themselves a chance at a wild card spot, they'll get Jimmy. And Jerry's typically not one to care about cost. Not to mention the contract. The contract has been restructured, so it's a little bit more palatable, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the NFC overall is not as deep as it used to be. So now is not the time to throw away years. I would not be shocked if if they give San Francisco a call because this is kind of the this is what San Francisco has been waiting for: is somebody to get hurt. Do you know how many fans in my mentions overnight? We're talking about week one overreactions. This is the best overreaction week of the entire year. <laughs> you know how many fans <laughs> in my mentions were like, hang it up, go for Will Anderson, mail it in, we're done. They're and not going to be bad enough to get Will Anderson. And that's the thing is like to pitch all the rest of the players and coaches on that team. Like this well could be the end of Mike McCarthy. We thought that might happen anyways. Now it's going to be hard not to. I don't think he's capable of putting together the coaching job to prop them up in the absence of Dak. Mm. So this is going, this is an injury that we're leading with because it has repercussions. The Cowboys could have a new coach. They could have a new draft pick. They could sell the farm for some mediocre quarterback because Jerry is not one to mail it in and say it's over. He gave up a first for Amari when that was necessary before. Yeah. So it's there's precedent here. This is going to be a, a shaking move. The most surprising thing to me, period, would be if Dallas did nothing, if they just stood back. Well, they're also a fan base. Cowboys fans are a fan base that are frustrated that they did nothing to prepare for the possibility 
that Tyron Smith would get hurt, which is something that unfortunately has happened often yeah. in recent years. They did not prepare for that at all. And then, of course, it happened. And then they have to go. Thankfully, Jason Peters was available. But even then, it's like, okay, 40-year-old Jason Peters was their backup, backup, backup plan. So it's it, this is a franchise that unfortunately has done a poor job preparing for worst-case scenarios multiple times over. And they keep getting bitten in the ass by this kind of stuff. Especially with Dak getting hurt, too, in the last three years. Well, they're over fire, too, with Dak's contract. And you brought this up. Yeah. He's got a no-trade clause. Yeah. And his contract's not cheap. It's not like they can just move him and move on. They don't have the money to do that. So now you're sort of over a barrel with very limited options. And people will say, oh, you know, Jimmy's not that great. Mason Rudolph's not exciting. Doesn't matter at this point. You got that or nothing because Dak's not coming back for at least eight weeks. You're going to be at the midpoint of the season. And the question is, what do you do? And and we'll see. And it's why the NFL is a fascinating sport. But the, the Cowboys are running on a razor-thin margin, and that exploded last night. Speaking of Steelers, by the way, uh, TJ Watt, unfortunately, the other major injury oh, of week one, and this one hurts because he was having a ridiculous <laughs> game. Poor a little out for TJ Watt oh. because he was he was Superman for the first three quarters of the Bengals game yesterday. He had a pick. He had multiple sacks. He had tackles for loss. He had pressures. He was doing everything to influence that game and suffered a serious injury, and we might not see him for a while, if well, not the whole season. You could even say when he when he came off the field, which I think he tore it on a sack on Burrow, Yes, he pointed it and he said, I, I tore my pec. So he knew immediately, and then he walked right to the didn't even go to the x-ray tent yeah. or in the medical tent, went right to the locker room to get x-rays, and then it came out fairly quickly that it, they fear the worst, which is the three words you hate hearing as a fan. But the update today, as of Monday morning, is he's going to get a second and third opinion to see if he needs surgery. If he needs surgery, he's out for the year. He's done. If he doesn't need surgery, which I maybe, depending on what the grade of it is, yeah. uh, grade of the tear, if he doesn't need surgery, best case scenario is six weeks, which yeah. would be great for Pittsburgh. But even then, he's missing at least a month and a half, potentially the entire year. And there's very few defensive players that I think could miss the year and have that massively impact the win-loss record of their team. T.J. Watt's one of them. Like, they were not going to win that game without T.J. Watt, 100%. Oh, and he was our pick for Defensive Player of the Year in our pod that we put out a week ago in terms of preseason guesses for what the season-long awards would be. Uh, we said, look, if it's not Aaron Donald, it's going to be T.J. Watt. He looked all the world like he was going to back up that prediction. I almost put out a tweet about it. I said, well, that prediction looks pretty good. I didn't do it. I feel better about that. I don't feel good about this. I feel terrible about this because yeah. it robs not only Steelers fans who are some of the most passionate fans in the NFL of their best player. It robs NFL fans. Even if you're not a Steelers fan, watching what TJ Watt was doing yesterday, that is an NFL player playing at the absolute 1% of 1%. Mm -hmm. He was playing at the highest level of football. And as a football fan, I want to see that. I don't necessarily want to see it against my team, but every other week I want to see it, you know, that and twice on Sundays. And we're not going to get to see that now. And it's, it, look, the NFL is incredibly fickle. Injuries happen. Strangely, we saw some of the rest of the list will run through. But this one, 
is equally as impactful to that team's chances as Dax is for the Cowboys. Uh, we do have a couple confirmations of season-ending injuries, unfortunately, so far. Uh, so far, excuse me. Kyle Fuller, corner for the Ravens, who's near and dear to our heart. Uh, he tore his ACL as well as Derek Barnett. He also tore his ACL, so they're done for the year. Um, Eli Mitchell, unfortunately, suffered a knee injury, which massively impacted the effectiveness of the 49ers run game yesterday, which we were both watching the Bears game. And once Eli Mitchell left, it was night and day in terms of the 49ers offense. They weirdly kind of run through him. Like when he's not on the field, things are very different. You know, Debo essentially became their number one running back as a wing back. He's not even a true running back. He's a wing back. But he started leading them in carries after that. So him missing multiple weeks with this knee injury is big for San Francisco. Uh, Najee Harris, another Steelers injury. Uh, foot and or ankle, we're not entirely sure what yeah, it is. Maybe. <laughs> All we have is a preliminary report that the Steelers don't think it's that serious. Who knows what that even means? Ideally, by the time this comes out tomorrow, we'll figure out if he's even on the table to play this week. Um, Dr. Jesse Morris was speculating, like, best case scenario, maybe a midfoot sprain and he could play this week. Worst case scenario, high ankle sprain, and you know how high ankle, high ankle sprains go. It, it, it could either be nothing or it could be something, so we'll see for that. Yeah. Uh, T. Higgins has a concussion. Uh, he suffered that in the second quarter yesterday. No word yet on availability uh, for this week. Chris Godwin, I watched this one. I literally watched him as it happened. Um, he strained his hamstring. He's likely going to miss a few weeks, which... Guys coming off ACLs tend to have soft tissue injuries like that because either they're overcompensating or yep. maybe they weren't going 100% the entire offseason because they were rehabbing. And then the second they get into a real game and they do go 100%, everything starts tearing and straining. So that that one didn't really surprise me at all. Uh, Donovan Smith, maybe the weirdest injury of the week, hyperextended elbow. That was freakish. He was <laughs> not engaged with another player. He was being spun on a play, and as he spun around, basically his elbow hit another player's thigh and just overflexed Oof. his arm immediately. And it was, again, nobody's fault. It's a lot of big guys moving at incredibly quick speeds. It was really random, though, yeah. to see – a player go down with that but it was he was in immediate pain went to the sideline got his forearm checked they took x-rays so you know it's going to be a they say it's going to be a pain tolerance thing going forward which i always wince a little bit at because i've had lots of injuries where they're like well you're not going to do any more damage to it it's just going to hurt like crazy what that's code for is you can't play without us sticking a giant needle somewhere in your body yeah it's which it's sucks. not great and and we saw that again Donovan Smith, a, a corner, an anchor of that Tampa Bay line. They definitely played very differently. The defense played differently against them. Micah continued to go off. Mm. He was going off before that. We'll talk about that later. But just a just a random, like, wrong place, wrong time kind of injury. Uh, Keenan Allen, by the way, also hamstring strain, which – Early on in Keenan's career, he did have a tendency to get soft tissue injuries a lot. And then for yeah. a few years, he was totally fine. And now we're back to that dreaded hamstring, which plagued him a lot early in his career. Uh, potentially could play Thursday night, which, again, you and he's, I are streaming. But he's uh, four not, days. not going to play on the short week. They're going to yeah. hold him. They need him down the stretch. It's it's a big game for them on Thursday. It's, yeah. you know, an early AFC West shootout. I don't think on a short week, given his history and his age, that they're going to push that. Because if he does press, 
and then he makes it worse, which if you yeah. play on something that's tight, even if it's just tight, and you play on it and you aggravate it, make it worse, a two-week injury could potentially turn into a six-week injury, and that's the last thing they need right now. So no. I, as far as I'm concerned, you got Mike, you got Palmer, you got Eckler. You got, got enough her- weapons. And you got Herbert. And, and, and got Herbert, Herbert is not afraid to spread it around. He's not yeah. one of those guys that's so focused on Keenan that his performance is going to drop if Keenan's not in the game. So I doubt very much that we'll see Keenan Thursday. Hopefully he comes back quickly because he is a driving force in that passing game. Uh, you know, the short term, not so much. The long term, man, I hope he's there because he's just such a tremendous player. At this point, just prioritize the safest thing you can possibly do for long term. Right. Because it's a long season. There's 17 games. There's four games in the playoffs on top of that. They, yeah. If he can miss week two in exchange for getting everything else back, that, that's probably the preferable outcome. Um, now, EJ, before we get into three up and we talk about that ridiculous Bills defense that you and I saw live on Thursday, I need to complain. And Jordan from Prize Picks, I know you're watching this. I need to <laughs> complain directly to you because I came so fucking close to getting five out of five on my slip. And for people that have never played Prize Picks before, which I, I played it all last year, and so I'm very familiar with how it works. Some of you might not be. So it's basically like daily fantasy pickums. And so if you're in like California or Texas or Florida or Georgia, I mean, it's available in like 70% of the country. Um, but if you want to get action on a game where, you know, there's not like true sports betting, or even if you're in a sports betting state, but you kind of more prefer the fantasy slant to it, um, you can do pickums for anywhere between two to five players and you're betting over-unders on rushing yards or receiving yards or combined yardage or fantasy points or anything in between. And if you get all five correct, you can up to 10x your slip in terms of money. So I did a $10 slip and I was three for three. <laughs> and then the one thing I fucked up was the Rams receiving core, which you and I talked about extensively in the summer. We talked all this hype about Allen Robinson. I hit on the over on Tom Brady. I hit on the over on Gabe Davis, which you and I, I mean, we saw 56 and a half, 56 and a half receiving yards for Gabe Davis. We're like, no, there's no way he's under on that. It's over. He got 88. Uh, I went over on Devin Singletary. Got that one right. But freaking Allen Robinson. Okay, I did under 90 on Cooper Cup because I was like, okay, like I could see 80, but I really expected Allen Robinson to be a big part of this game plan. And he was just in a gulag like the over under for him was like 65 yards. Yeah. And there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing for Allen Robinson. And you and I sat there stunned, I think, in the middle of the third quarter. We were frantically Googling because we're like, has he caught a ball yet? Has he had a target yet? If if I just guessed the Rams receiving core correctly, I would have got a hundred bucks in a ten dollar slip. But no, the Bills defense had to take that from me, and I'm very upset. Very upset. You know what remains undefeated? Week one. Week one randomness. <laughs> Week one randomness remains undefeated because all we heard all off season was how good Allen Robinson looked, how in sync he was with Matthew Stafford, how dominant he was going to be. You know that. OBJ was not going to be missed because Robinson was going to be replacing a, a similar share of that offense and balancing Cooper Cup. So I don't blame you one bit for picking your slip that way, but it was notable in that game, his exclusion. And what was even more notable to me was the Rams' uh, explanation of why he wasn't targeted. I don't know if you heard this. I, I didn't. 
So they came out and they said, well, they played a lot of zone. They, they played, I don't think, maybe one, two, three snaps a man the whole game. And I was like... Well, that's accurate, but you can still... <laughs> all they run is zone beaters in that offense. That's and literally all they do. This is my reaction. is like, oh, Allen Robinson's a great NFL wide receiver with a storied history of many productive seasons. But boy, if you want to stop him, you got to play zone. I mean, who can't survive against zone that's any... like? It was just such a random thing to say after all the hype in the preseason. We heard analysts, we heard pundits, we everybody was just the hype meter on Allen Robinson was off the charts and he got nothing. Like he got nothing and liked it. It was just very few targets. I think he got thrown out like three times. I think he had one reception. Well, here, here's my response to that whole, like, oh, they were playing zone comment. I know exactly what they're talking about because I literally, on the plane over here, I was watching film of that game um, and I was doing all the notes and I kept putting in my notes, oh, hook zone sitting on the backside dig, hook zone sitting on the backside dig, hook zone sitting on the backside dig. The Bills did not do a very complicated game plan. They didn't even blitz once. No, they were really mostly starting in a two high shell and then rotating down uh, into cover three, either, you know, strong rotation or weak rotation um, against uh, trips. A lot of the times they would go into cover two, which I know sounds like, oh, why would you play cover two against trips? Because the half field safety is going to get completely overloaded. That's exactly what the Rams did. The Bears last year. OK, but the Bills pass rush is way fucking better and the Rams offensive line is way fucking worse. And so they didn't have time to throw deep on it. So they could get away with playing cover two against trips. And so there was absolutely nothing there in terms of all like the flood concepts the Rams like to run. There was nothing that they could hit deep. And then the hook zone defenders on the backside, whether it was two by two or three by one, they were literally just sitting there on the backside dig because their favorite concept to run on the backside of flood, uh, well, at least Shanahan calls it hammer. I'm assuming McVay does too because they you know, run right. very similar offenses. Uh, and it's literally just like a little pivot route. And then it's it's not technically a dig. They just call it hammer in that offense. It's like a dig on a speed cut right behind it. And so the pivot's supposed to hold the hook zone player in order to clear over the middle for the hammer behind it. And the linebackers just weren't doing it. Milano was sitting on it. Edmonds was sitting on it. So if you remember that, um, that pick that Stafford threw on the no look towards the end of the game, he was literally staring at the pivot and trying to no look the hammer behind it because they kept fucking sitting on that hammer route that they wanted to hit all game long. And it's the same kind of thing he did in the Super Bowl. Um, but this time he missed. And so this whole like, oh, they're playing zone so we can't hit Allen Robinson because they were sitting on the hammer all day. Call something else. Call literally anything else. You have Allen Robinson. What are you doing? This is NFL 101, right? <laughs> you you want to make teams play quote unquote left-handed you want basically what that means is you want to force them to their second option right you look at what makes an offense go whether it's a player whether it's a play whether it's a concept whether it's a formation favorite blocking scheme on a run play you look at whatever it is that they go to that is their what we would call bread and butter right what is the thing that just drives that offense keeps it going gets them first downs, gets them yards, gets them touchdowns. And then as a defensive coach or as a defensive coaching staff, you want to take that away. 
right? That's yeah. the first thing you want to do is deny, 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 whatever it is. Oh, this team loves outside zone. Great. We got to, we got to get guys to the boundary, clog those lanes, force them back inside, and we got to pursue from the defensive tackles, right? You do whatever it is that's necessary to take away their first move. It's like chess, right? And then they're going to go to their backup move, and that's where adjustments come in, and you see coaching staffs that are good at adjustments and bad adjustments. We're going to talk about some later in this podcast. That was the Bills' move to say, we know you love this route. We know you make money on this route. We know you rode this route to that banner That's hanging up there That's all Odell the did was run that route. <laughs> so guess what? We're not going to buy any of the motion. We're not going to buy any of the window dressing. We're going to sit a guy right in the middle of that route, mm -hmm. force you to throw a perfect ball around, over, through, whatever. And you're probably not going to because you're professional offense – Let's let's make you go to your left hand, right? And for the Rams to come out after the game and say, well, you know, they took away our right hand. They took away our favorite play. Oh, they stole your favorite toy, did they? Well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> um, so that's, that's a fantastic sort of NFL story from a story within a game, game within the game, whatever you want to call it. But it was a very strange thing. I'm sorry your slip hinged on it. It cost me 100 bucks, And believe me, when we see Sean McVay at the Super Bowl, whether he's back in the Super Bowl or he's on Radio <laughs> Row, I'm going to ask for my hundred dollars. You're going to remind him? I, okay, I, this is video or it doesn't happen, but I'm <laughs> I'm down. This is quality bootleg content. What bottle will you buy me if I ask that of Sean McVay? It's like, hey, you owe me a hundred bucks. Okay, this is a two stage bet, sort of an over under. There's a bottle I'll buy you if you ask, and there's a bottle I'll buy you if you get it. <laughs> you know, I think he would actually enjoy the question. I think he would because he's a, he, you know, he's a scheme nerd himself. And I'm sure if I say like, Hey, they called like three coverages against you. Why didn't you call anything else? I'm sure I'd get a real answer out of him. Like he's not afraid to answer those kind of questions. As a small rabbit hole on a side, I was on a stream uh, with a bunch of other content providers, great charity stream on Saturday. And three times during the stream, I got that. It's the, it's the you know ball look oh. <laughs> that we got at the Shrine Bowl. And they're like, you you, you seem to understand football. And I was like, mm-hmm. It was great. A little bit. I enjoyed it. A it was fun, bit. you know. Um, somebody that wasn't familiar with their work before and is now watching, so welcome. Um, yeah, good times. But I think you're right. McVeigh as a football nerd would be like, oh, yeah? And also, fun fact about McVeigh, photographic memory for plays. Yeah. So he'll remember. He'll remember everything I'm talking about. Yeah. It won't be a problem for him to go, oh, yeah, but did you think about, and that would be great conversation. But so I'll we'll tell you sure. what, he's infinitely smarter than me by oh, yeah. orders and orders and orders of magnitude. So I guarantee you everything I just said, he already knows. He right. already knows that they, they, they had a whole bunch of other clubs in the bag they didn't go to. Right, so. and he'll dress it down three times, but it'll still make great content. Uh, but anyway, tangent aside, if you want to try your own slips on prize picks and not trust the Rams offense again and go in a completely different direction. Honestly, just stay away from the Shanahan tree. That's my my general <laughs> lesson. Go with any go with Dable, go with the Bills, go with the Chiefs. <laughs> stay safe. Stay away from the Shanahan tree. They're great offenses, but oh my god, they will rip out your heart. Uh, but if you want to fill out a prize pick slip with any other offenses than those, uh, you can use promo code bootleg. They will match your deposit up to $100. So if you deposit $50, they'll give you $50 free dollars to use on the site or $75 or $100 and so on. Whatever you deposit, they'll match up to $100. Bucks. 
Uh, and by the way, we're filling out our week two slips once we find out a little bit more about the injuries on, drum roll please, that is the quietest drum roll I've ever heard in my well, life. I... <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, our second show of the week, which we are just starting, and it's a live show. We're doing a live stream every Thursday night. We're commenting on every single TNF game. Of course, again, brought to you by Prize Picks because they're paying our bills this year, and we love them very much for that. Uh, but we're doing a pregame show. We're rolling live all the way through the game. We're giving analysis. We have access to some stats that are very, very, very fun that I think most other broadcasts will not have access to, including the TV broadcast, believe it or not. So huh. uh, come for a very unique show right here on the YouTube channel every single week. Uh, that's going to start half hour before kickoff every single TNF, uh, TNF, which I think it runs through week six, no, 17. 17. Everything but the last week. Uh, last week they want to pack, the NFL wants to pack everything into that final weekend. But wait, you're saying there's not one opportunity to see us every week this year, but two regular, regular <laughs> opportunities? To Watch see me cuss life? out Kyle Shanahan twice a week. <laughs> you know you will. So, yes, this is another piece of content you can now count on bootleg football for. So pods are going to be coming out on Tuesdays uh, during the regular season. Um, we're going to be holding to that as tightly as we can, even with the crazy travel schedule. But, yeah, you heard right. Stop by the Bootleg Football YouTube channel every Thursday night game. We're going to be there half an hour beforehand talking about how that setup works. And there might even be some film room tie-ins. Lots of oh, the content. There, there will be. Believe me. Yeah, lots of the content is going to be focused on Thursday nights this week. And we will be filling out a live prize pick slip both before the game and in-game at halftime. Yes, they do halftime slips, too. So when uh, Allen Robinson has zero targets through the first two <laughs> You quarters, can adjust. You can make halftime adjust. adjustments. Improvise, adapt, overcome, EJ. That's the, the Absolutely. slogan for this year. Can't thank Prize Picks enough for their support, for our ability to do two shows a week now instead of one. Um, just more content for you to consume. Hang out with us. It's going to be live, interactive, as most of our stuff is on YouTube. You're going to be able to make comments send uh jabs our way when we make terrible <laughs> terrible fantasy picks which is all the time <laughs> which is all the time but we will be there live um can't can't wait we are super excited about this we're not done talking about bills rams because we have nope. the other side of the ball to talk about but we're gonna do that in three up All right, we're going to start off three up uh, with a little continuation of, of Bill's Rams talk. We talked a lot about the Bill's defense and how what they did was very simple but very effective. Uh, but we have to talk about the other side of the ball because, oh, my God, Josh Allen. I, I have not seen him live before. That was my first time experiencing Josh Allen live, and I feel like I just saw the angel of death. Like, that was different, and I've seen a lot of football games live. That was a different animal than almost every other football player I have ever seen with my own two eyes. The rest of the NFL has a problem, and that problem is Josh Allen because Josh has all the answers to the test now. Before he had all the physical ability in the world, he was gaining answers to the test throughout his previous seasons. He was starting to understand what he could do and what people were going to do to him and everything else. And he has it now. We saw it in the opening drive. We wondered about the transition from 
Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey, how that was going to affect him. He looked cool, confident, and fully prepared. And unlike Josh Allen in previous seasons, completely patient and willing to take the underneath stuff. And that doesn't sound exciting or important. It's terrifying. Because if he is mechanically correct and willing to take the check off and the dump down and whatever else the defense gives you and lull you to sleep and make you pack in and compress and then do the, aha, I'm Josh (laughs) Allen thing and throw it 35 yards over your head on a line to the numbers, there's no way to beat him. Like if he's willing to not beat himself in the short game, you have to crunch down or he will just continue to methodically march down the field and before he would get impatient he would try something he would do something silly and that's when you capitalized on josh allen he looked completely set to just wait he's willing to throw sticker outs now yep it's unbelievable and that's (laughs) that's the unlock it doesn't sound like the unlock but that's the unlock and then he can still do all the Josh Allen things. And we saw all of those on display. Oh, that stiff arm. Palming a quarterback's Ooh. head into the ground, willing a touchdown into existence on the goal line by just jumping up like a basketball player and sticking his arm out saying, no, I'm going to score. And then, you know, opening up. When you break coverage, oh, yeah, I got plenty of arm to get that right now, and you're not going to catch him. So when I say he has all the answers to the test, I mean there's nothing you can do against him when he's willing to do the sort of basic methodical stuff to move the offense and just wait for you to make a mistake. And you know, that's what he's doing. And you should be very afraid of that. Watching on film. It reminds me of somebody you and I both love for a positive reason and a negative reason. And I know it sounds negative. What do you mean? So 2015 Cam Newton, you remember the transcendent experience that was. We also remember what that did to Cam Newton in terms of how it affected the rest of his career. Sure. You leaned over to me multiple times during that game, and you were like, why the fuck are they running him right now? You're up by 20 points. Like, I get he's big, he's strong. They have got to start taking intentional hits off his body by calling all these, like, design quarterback runs. I, I He's capable of doing it. He's awesome at it. it it's their get-out-of-jail-free card. I want to see Josh Allen play for the next 10 years, and I feel like Cam Newton, who did a lot of the same stuff, like yeah. jo- Cam Newton was Josh Allen before Josh Allen back in 2015. Um, and I feel like Cam Newton cost himself a lot of years of good quarterback play by just taking a beating in the early parts of his career because they ran him so much. And I, I really want to see the Bills give the ball to their actual running backs yeah. instead of piling up these hits on their quarterback i get it it works you don't need to do it that much in week one when you're up by 20 points and you need to do it differently you and i were watching a little bit of film this morning before this podcast just to sort of check some of our priors and make sure what we thought happened actually happened and and understand some of the sort of more pivotal moments of the week and one of the games we watched was the cardinals game Mm -hmm. and the bills need to run josh allen more like the cardinals run kyler Safely. Give him some space. Don't just say, hey, because he's big, he can go bowl over the linebacker. Yes, that's true. 
But those hits all add up, and the the Cardinals don't do that with Kyler. They don't like one on one him with a two hundred and forty pound linebacker and say, "Go get him. You're responsible for him." They make space. They spread it out. They make large lanes, and they say, "If nobody fills that lane, then do your thing. Mm-hmm. Then go do the Kyler thing." And the Bills need to do more of that with Allen because all this like he's just gonna blow it up stuff has got to stop. I will say, though, uh, to end on a positive note, because it's supposed to be a positive Bill segment, it's three up after all. Uh, this was a stat that you pulled out that I found extremely hard to believe, but I 100% uh, can confirm it's true. The Bills have not punted for the fourth time in their last six games. I don't believe it's ever happened. Uh, week 16 versus the Pats was their quote-unquote perfect game. Where they ran over Bill Belichick, and it was they were the first team to have never punted against a Belichick-led team. Well, they didn't punt in Week 17 versus the Falcons. Week 18 versus the Jets, and this might be the most amazing stat of this whole thing. Of the two weeks they've punted out of the last six games they've played, they punted seven times versus the Jets. Did their starters play that week? I'm not sure, but regardless, it's the weirdest <laughs> stat. Then the wild card versus the Pats again. They don't punt again. Division versus the Chiefs, they punt four times. And then versus the Rams, uh, the game we were at on Thursday, they don't punt. So four out of the last six games, their punter hasn't even come on the field. And you can say, oh, yeah, they turned it over. That's true. It's still a ridiculous stat. And, you know, everybody that had the Bills as their preseason Super Bowl favorite, darling, whatever, there's a good reason. It's not just Josh Allen. That pass rush. The defensive line of the Bills mangled the Rams. And the Rams probably overestimated what their offensive line can do. That's a separate matter. The Bills had a good pass rush last year, and their front office said, not good enough, we need to reload. We need to go get Von Miller. We need to draft folks. We need to bring Jordan Phillips back. (laughs) Von, not to get on a tangent, Von individually – had one of the most Von Miller games that he's had in years where, I mean, they were literally sliding his way. They were doing a half slide his way when they were in their four down looks. So center guard, left tackle, plus a chip. And he was splitting doubles against a chip and getting sacks. Yep. One it on a ghost move. The unreal. Whole it was the full array of the Von Miller experience, but he wasn't the only one. They have legit seven, eight, nine guys that can bring pressure, and they bring them in waves, and they were much fresher than the Rams' O-line late into the third and fourth, and they just ate A.J. Epinesa, like you name it, Jordan Phillips. made. Jordan Phillips was murdering people. He made all the Cardinals fans just hate him. Oh, God. Because he comes back to Western New York and starts playing like the Jordan Phillips that they signed, and, and there's much remorse there. The Bills' defensive line, we know about their secondary, especially their safety tandem being one of, if not the best safety tandem in the NFL. We know their corners are good when Trey White comes back. Trey White didn't even play in this game. Their linebackers, they've got Milano and Edmonds. To have their defensive line rotation not only be as good as last year, but better because they just kept the hammer down, this is what you need to do to win in the NFL. You don't sit back and go, well, we've got a super weapon at quarterback, so we're going to save some money. No, you go, uh uh-uh, more, better, need waves, defensive rotation. We need to smash people on both sides of the ball. The Bills are for real, like for real, for real. It's just, it's scary. And I'm looking forward to 
the Chargers game, the Chiefs game. Like they, they have a pretty hefty slate oh. in the AFC, and every single one of those games is going to feel like the Super Bowl because it's they are enemy number one for everybody at this point. Everybody knows what they are. Uh, all right, let's get to Bengals Steelers, which I I know this sounds weird to put this shit show of a game. <laughs> In three up, but there was a lot of positive in this game that we got excited about. Obviously, we mentioned TJ Watt earlier, just completely taking over the game for the first three quarters. Um, and Joe Burrow, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this, for most of the game was not having a good game. There were a couple, you know, two of the four picks he threw in the first half weren't necessarily negative plays for him, but he did throw a couple pretty egregious interceptions against cover two. Like the first one, the pick six uh, that Minka got, I have no idea what he was looking at. I, I really have no idea. And it's like, it was a good play by Minka, obviously, but like it's cover two and you're try, trying to hitch and, and take an extra half beat and then throw the seven against cover two. Like that, that was just asking to get picked off. Yep. And he, of course he did. And then he threw another pick against cover two later in the game. And he almost threw a third against cover two. He almost had five interceptions. That's what people don't realize. Like, he threw four. He almost had five. There was one that that should have been picked off in the end zone. And yet, and yet, Joe Burrow, with T. Higgins out in the second quarter, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase willed this team to being in position to win it. Like, they, they got a last-second touchdown to Jamar Chase in the end zone. Who Jamar Chase, by the way, individually was fucking unstoppable in this game. Absolutely asserting his his case to be not just a top five receiver, but a top two receiver in the entire league. Um, and they put themselves in position to win this game, even despite all the turnovers and the messy play and the, the offensive line getting absolutely demolished and Joe throwing bad picks. They should have won, and then the kicking struggles happened, or the special team struggles in general. They let Minka through inexplicably to block the PAT off the and, inside. Uh, like I, I, I mm, it was it was terrible. Um, and then you know there's missed field goals and overtimes going back and forth, and the Steelers survived to their credit. Like Deontay Johnson made some insane catches down the stretch, and you know Najee was out, and so Jalen Warren's pounding the rock and. The Steelers made it happen. Yes. They definitely paid for it in injuries, but they made it happen. But I I specifically want to call out the fact that Joe Burrow started so horribly and still put this team in position to win. And I think that he at least deserves credit for inexplicably, unbelievably getting Cincy in a spot where they should have won the game and then special teams cost them the game. And by the way, I also want to give credit to the Steelers their defense held tight. You know, Mitch was up and down. He was Mitch. Kenny Pickett's probably going to start eventually. Uh, but I, I want to give credit to them for winning the game. But I was very impressed by Joe Burrow climbing out of that hole and almost making it happen. In my opinion, he did make it happen, right? He did what he needed to do to win the game. Like, he doesn't kick the football. So... <laughs> People, I put out a tweet that said, and people still bet against Joe Burrow. <laughs> and somebody jumped in the mentions right away and said, ha ha, he threw four picks. And I was like, A, two were his and they were bad. The other two weren't his. They happen. That happens to everybody. But despite four picks, he throws a touchdown with no time left on the clock at the pylon to Jamar Chase, who ascended to superhero status if he wasn't already there. 
he won the game. Like, if you're a quarterback, you walk off the field, you go, that's it. I have unshakable confidence. And there were two or three throws right before that. There was Jamar Chase. We thought he was in the end zone. Oh, no, his toes hit the end he line. He should have had four touchdowns. He was, like, literally five inches away from having four touchdowns, cumulatively. He was insane. And multiple quarterbacks would go in the tank at that point yeah. and go, oh, man, I threw a touchdown. It doesn't count. Like, ah, not Joe. Joe just, I'll throw another one. And he does. He has just unspeakably unshakable confidence. He wins the game. He walks off. His kicker, who was a hero of last year's postseason, shanks one. We'll talk about the kicking woes in a bit. But, like, he did everything he needed to walk off game one. It's in-division game, tiebreaker, division lead, the whole thing. And despite starting cold, throwing bad picks, many things that would shake another quarterback, Joe just hangs in there on the Jamar chase front. You said possibly top two. That might be low. You, so you're saying Devante. What I'm saying is Jamar chase is going to battle Devante and Justin Jefferson all year. Remember these three names, Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson, Devante Adams, because Devante's not going anywhere. And he, you have to knock him off the top. He, spot. He he's a, the kid. He had a great game too, by the way. He wasn't, yeah. he's not letting up anything. Justin Jefferson had a massive game to come out. Like, these three guys, but Chase isn't going to give them anything. Like you said, he would have had four touchdowns in week one. If he just kicked the fucking pylon, I'm he would have had it. So Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Devontae Adams are all in the mix for the top spot. These are not pretenders to the throne. It is Devontae's until somebody knocks him off because he's earned that. But Chase is not going to go quietly into the night. He has said, he said last year he dragged this team to the Super Bowl he basically almost drags them to a win in week one when they should have, in many respects, had no business winning that game. Chase, again, won't back off. Absolutely just takes the bull by the horns. We are watching the ascension of one of the best players in the NFL, regardless of position. Mm -hmm. Jamar Chase is putting his foot down saying, nope, wasn't a fluke. Not going to be a sophomore slump. By the way, I might be the best at what I do in the entire league. And that's rare air. Doesn't matter. He belongs. He's there. He's going to be there all year. And he's 22. He's 22, EJ. I, we're, we're going to watch this for a long time. We're getting 10 more years of this. Yeah, we hope. We hope. We hope. God willing. Yeah, God willing. Um, also, I, I, again, the Steelers won the game. I want to give them their flowers. And Absolutely. So in doing so, I want to say uh, Cam Hayward. If you didn't think he was a first ballot Hall of Famer already, uh, a why if you listen to this podcast, you been? yeah. But TJ Watt, we talked about him earlier. But for three quarters, he he was unblockable, unstoppable, impacting the game no matter what the rebuilt Cincinnati offensive line was supposed to do to him. God, they they, they did not look rebuilt. They, Jonah Williams, they didn't. Uh, that's an issue. He gave up double digit sacks last year, and he picked up right where he left off. And I mean that in a terrible way. Uh, yeah. He was getting. Whooped. But Watt was just a bag of dynamite from the opening gun. And again, impacting a way, impacting the game in every way that a player in his position can. You know, had a crazy interception, jumped. You're not supposed to jump on rushes. All the offensive linemen, cheers to our buddy Brandon Thorne, punished jumpers, right? <laughs> He's got a whole thread of punished jumpers. Like, Watt gets punished. He gets up and takes a full rib shot. Oh, but he gets the interception. What kind of ridiculousness is that? Along with, you know, two sacks, multiple pressures, tackles for loss. 
He's doing everything he could. And it's it's just a double, triple shame that we're not going to get to see him probably if he did tear his pack for the rest of the season. But that's why this game ended up in three up is multiple players playing at the highest level of the position on both sides of the ball. And yeah, it came down to an absolute clown show of kicking. But <laughs> other it, than that, it was a great game. <laughs> it was an amazing game regardless. So that's why it ended up in this spot. Uh, all right. Finishing off three up. We have another division game, Raiders-Chargers. This one, uh, it was it was kind of fascinating to me for multiple reasons. Number one, I felt like we finally saw the Chargers as the you know fully armed and operational battle station. Uh, Justin Herbert making ridiculous plays. Uh, you had Mac and Bosa doing exactly what we thought they would do, which is play off of each other and dominate together as a unit really the entire chargers defensive line had a really good day pass rushing run defense was kind of hit and miss josh jacobs definitely got his uh which run defense has been an issue for the chargers for multiple years at this point it wasn't as egregious as it was last year so as far as i'm concerned it's it's an improvement but the pass rush was nuts and when they when they forced the raiders into actual gotta pass situations they couldn't block them they absolutely could not block them and Derek carr I don't want to say he was rattled. He was definitely affected. He had multiple really bad decisions, throwing the ball, turnovers, took some sacks he really shouldn't have taken. Um, it was not a good day for Derek Carr. But really the main issue, I, I think, is is pass protection. Like, they could not block the Chargers. And once they pinned their ears back, there was nothing they could do. And then, obviously, Justin Herbert on the other side, making throws that – let me ask you this. How many quarterbacks in the league make some of the throws that Justin Herbert made in that game? Is it less than four? Yes. It's four or less. Allen, Mahomes, Rodgers. Is there anybody else? Because some of those throws were like, Not right now. what the hell? There were three throws in that game. And this, when we started watching this game, I said there are three Herbert throws in this game that are just redonkulous. And they look kind of average if you don't know what you're looking at. Um, the first one was a rusher grabbed his plant foot, his back foot, and lifted it. He threw it on one foot. His power <laughs> foot. I mean, if you know anything about throwing mechanics, you go back, you rock onto your plant foot, you rock forward. That's what generates all your midsection tour, everything. Literally lifts his plant foot off the ground trying to pull him down. He throws it anyways, somehow, a on a line, like too. 20 yeah. yards. There's another one where he's rotating the wrong way. His hips are literally turned the wrong way, and he just snap throws it into keyhole slot, sideline down the field, in between, right ahead of one defender, but in between three defenders. That one was the sort of, oh, as you do throw. Like, <laughs> whatever, sure, if you're Justin Herbert. And they just keep going. The touchdown throw that was picked off the top of the grass oh, was... No, that, that deep cross outside of the right hash was like I, I, oh my god it's I, like a pick em of <laughs> you can't do that throws and you shouldn't be able to and we see herbert do it every week austin eckler was doing his austin eckler thing which is typically getting twice as many yards as he should have off every touch it's like oh he's gonna be stopped for two three oh seven eight oh he got eight he should have gotten two 
this was the Chargers. We saw the safeties. We saw Nasir Adderley with a big play. We saw Derwin make some plays. We saw Asante Samuel Jr. with a pick. Like, this was, when you say fully operational battle station, this was the Chargers firing on all cylinders, on offense, on defense. The Raiders didn't look quite like that. And to Derek Carr's credit, he's a good quarterback. But when things break down around him, he can't do the things that Herbert can do, that Allen can do, that Mahomes can do, that Rodgers can do, that we saw Burrow do, ducking out of a sack and throwing away a ball that would have ended the game had he gone down. Um, you know, I, I think about what you saw when you went to Texas. You saw Bryce Young dip out of a Texas sack. Oh, my God. And Multiple. S- and, save Multiple. The, and save the day. Like, Carr doesn't do that. Before that point, he is on par with a lot of those guys for what he can do. Once that happens, you don't see him do that regularly. He's going to need to try and do some of that, play within himself. The protection has to be better. And, yeah, he has to polish up those connections because it's great, almost preternatural with Waller right now. He had that with Renfro before. It looked a little rusty yesterday. And, you know, we saw a lot of production, like you said, out of Adams. But it's got to be at the level we saw from Mahomes and Herbert and Allen in week one, because look, that's the division you're in. That's the conference you're in. If you're not playing at that level, you're playing for not second, not third, but like fifth or sixth. And it's not going to be good enough. Yeah. I just, when they get to the point where they were at, at Fresno state, which is when Derek can look at Devante, go, yep. And just communicate an entire new route with a glance which I just did a film room episode on that. Like he had that with Rogers. I feel like they're they're close, but they're not. There was multiple times, you know, looking at Raiders Chargers where Devonte was one on one on the backside. It was three by one, and you're like, okay, it's it's Devonte time, and ball didn't go his way. Yeah, something else happened. You know, he was running a clear out or, you know, he was running a shallow. And it's like, that's not the way you use Devontae when he's getting isolated press coverage on the backside. I have a question for you. What? How much of that do you think is McDaniels not yet understanding that they can do that? What Devontae is? Because McDaniels comes from a system for the most part, most of the time he was in New England, they never had that. They never had the dominant wideout. Now, they had Randy for a bit, and don't jump on me for that. That was the exception more than the rule. Other than that, yeah. it was receiver by committee, and they didn't have true alpha dominant. How much do you think that is McDaniels, not necessarily Devonte? I mean, it was the first game. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they're in meeting rooms and Devontae says, hey, they're giving me seven yards of space. Let me do my thing. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if if they have conversations about that as the season goes on. But I'm just so used to seeing Devontae and Aaron work together and even Devontae and Derek in college where we're used to anytime he's one on one, he's getting the ball, you know. And again, he still had a lot of production. He was still very good. But. I think that once they're in the spot that I think they could be, the Raiders probably, not probably, might not have lost that game because we know what Derek and Devontae could do together. They're close, but they're not quite there yet. I want to see McDaniels really let them off the leash and just do what they do best, which is make it up as they go along. Like, that's what they did in college, and that's what, you know, Devontae and Aaron did. Like, they would just make shit up. They would have a run call on in Green Bay, 
and Aaron would be like, okay. Yeah, bud. You're, you're in a split outside the numbers. They're giving you on an island. I guess who's running a slant? You, you know, and they Let's would go. get 10 yards out of it. Devontae was their run game at times. He, they could, do it. he could do it with his eyes closed. Yes, and that's what I want to see from the Raiders too. And once they get to that point, there'll be a, there'll be a much tougher out. But as we alluded to, priority number one is figuring out pass protection. Uh, until they do that, it might be a little bit rough. Uh, I know that they're not uh, they're not fully there in terms of where they want to be personnel wise, um, but they got to figure it out because it's it's a problem. It's a big problem. Yeah, and the race is going to kick off real quick. I mean, it already oh, yeah. has. Oh, yeah. They're not going to get a like, oh, we can go to the quarter pole and then figure it out and catch up. If if they get a quarter of the way through the season and they're not much cleaner than they are now, they're going to do the Raiders thing where they make themselves a hill and nobody else is going to stop. Those race cars are going to keep running at full speed. They're not going to be able to catch them this year. They were able to do it last year because the Chargers weren't all the way there yet. And the Chiefs had kicked themselves in the shin for the first half of the season. And the Broncos weren't the Broncos. They didn't have Russ. Exactly. So, again, you're not playing for second if you play like that. In the AFC right now, the way that it's loaded, you're going to be lucky if you're playing for sixth. Yeah. it's You kind of can't start slow. In this not conference. anymore. So, not that they started slow, but they really, they really need to pick it up. Uh, anyway, with that being said, three up out of the way. Those are all a lot of the positive things we saw this week for certain teams. Obviously, not for all of them. Uh, let's get to three down, which is not as positive. Oh, uh, it's it's ugly. Uh, so, no matter what game you watched <laughs> yesterday. You saw kicking game struggles. There were very few games unmarred by struggles in the kicking game. Take a deep breath. There were 14 missed kicks. That's extra points, extra points blocked, and field goals across the NFL just on Sunday. There were 14 games played on Sunday. So that's one a game if there was one in every game. But there were some clean games, and there were some games that took more than their lion's share of the kicking screw-ups. It broke the NFL record. You're wondering, how bad is that? Because I really don't keep track of how many missed kicks there are in an average week. The NFL record was 12 from 2016, week 9. Broke that by 2 in a single day. 7 kicks were missed within 35 yards. Half of the 14 were what we consider these days in the NFL as gimmies. Inside the 35? 35 and in, 7. Half of the kicks were from 35 and in. Yeah, it was not great. Um, To put it mildly, that's a complete shit show on the special teams front. That is is as bad as it's got. It's record setting. Um, The only way to feel better about it, and this is of limited use, is that there were 79 missed kicks in college football this week. Excuse me? 79 in all of college football. So that's 94 total, and only 14 of them came from the NFL. Okay. Wow. So the NFL is <laughs> better. So it's funny. When I was at the Texans game, they actually had a couple of those. And one of them, uh, it was towards the end of the first half, and Sark opted to kick a field goal from like the seven, and they shanked it. So, boy, you, I, I don't know if you ever heard 100,000 people get their fucking heart ripped out at the same time. Yeah. That was that moment. Yep. That is, that is 100,000 <laughs> people getting kicked in the crotch at the same time. Oh. 
So college football is far worse, but that doesn't really have any bearing on the NFL. This was the worst kicking week we've ever seen. It's record setting and it affected many games. The Bears are super lucky that it didn't come back to haunt them. They missed Cairo Santo missed two. It was a monsoon. Uh, that, on I, would, turf. I would yeah, qualify that. However, bit, he missed yeah. both of them badly. Yeah. Um, and we saw multiple kicks. It, the evening game, right? The evening game was not the game you're at. Was not immune, no. right? Here comes a what looks like a very regular kick inside. No weather conditions whatsoever. And whoa, it was a clown show end to end. Entire league all day long. It was notable. It leads three down because of that. That's an unbelievable. I did not know it was that many in college. College football fans will be aware that the college kicking game, there are coaches that just don't kick in college because they're like, it's so bad. I didn't realize it was that many. Like, that's absurd. A lot. That's absurd. Uh, So yeah, not a great week to be a kicker. No, (laughs) hug your local kicker. They need it this week. Uh, All right. Three down number two. Uh, We've kind of alluded to it a little bit with a couple other topics, but the Packers, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the 49ers, and the Jets all, you can use the word sputtered, stumbled, you know, maybe didn't perform like expected. Although, small caveat, with all the injuries for the Packers, I kind of did expect them to sputter, and then they they held true to that. They had a very young receiving core, you know, Christian Watson, wide open, you know, People were saying, oh, he's the new MVS. And then, of course, he drops a 75-yard touchdown in his first snap. So and you're like, he's like, the new MVS. He's the new MVS. <laughs> um, you know, so that was rough. They have a young receiving core that Aaron's not quite in sync with. Uh, they were missing their two best offensive linemen. It was not a good day offensively by any metric for the Packers. Not to mention the Vikings are a talented team, so you can't really afford to be down a lot of your stars. They just couldn't keep up. Um, the Cowboys were, even before the DAC injury, it was rugged. They are missing the outside threats. The outside oh threats God. and the lack of having those players. And look, the Cowboys had one of, if not the top wide receiving core in the NFL. They had three legitimate threats. Two of them moved on. A third one is injured, coming back. They just don't have the horses outside. They've got CeeDee Lamb. They like to play him in the slot. It's but where he's more it, effective. Is it fair to question if he's a number one now because like I, I i keep waiting for it and i didn't want to talk about it a whole lot last year because i was like okay he's young and they got amari and they got Gallup, but like he would disappear for long stretches of the season and then he would have a big old game and everybody's like okay we're back and then he would disappear again for another three weeks i'm starting to wonder it's like okay is he is he juju where it's like as a slot as a complimentary option as a big slot we love him there but can he go outside and just absolutely dominate people like the bucks secondary is not one that i would consider to be insurmountable it's good though it's, it's really it's good. good but it's not like they don't have a they don't have an aj Terrell. they don't have a, a jalen ramsey like i i expected cd to go out there and win his one-on-one matchups and i was literally watching him all night last night waiting for him to win and he wasn't doing it when he's the only guy and this is this is there's two questions there you know is he an alpha is he a number one i'm not willing to put the can on that yet and say no he's not I, i'm not definitively saying no i'm saying but I'm, I'm starting to question it it's something you know? to watch but when he doesn't have the complementary pieces when a defense doesn't have to worry sort of equally across the field when they could really say look if we keep cd under wraps 
defense can do that with any wide receiver, even with Adams, right? If you double and sometimes triple Devontae Adams and he's the only one, you can limit his effectiveness. CD's not that good. So they doubled him sometimes, but as long as they said is if he doesn't get over on us, there's really nothing else we have to worry about. And it affected Dak. Mm-hmm. Dak looked even before the injury, uncomfortable, unsure, unknowing of where he was going to get that guaranteed win that a quarterback needs when it comes down to, hey, it's third and seven, you got to keep the drive going. He didn't know where he was going to go. The rushing attack was not bulletproof. He got some help from his tight ends, but it didn't feel like, again, like a Gronk-level threat that was dialed. Not that they had that to begin with. They just looked uncertain of who they were and what they were doing and their ability to win. So Dallas, even before the Dak injury, but certainly after the Dak injury, you've got to look at the Dallas offense and say, ooh, a lot of Dallas fans were worried about their line, about going into the season without top receiving threats, and everybody in Dallas land on team side, no, no, it's fine, we have all the talent. Now, worst case scenario, Dak's out for a while, and all the other problems showed up too. Offensive line was an issue, we had injuries there as well. Wide receiver core is not going to come back to full strength for several weeks. Like, the Cowboys are in bad straits offensively. And they, by the way, uh, healthy scratch Jalen Tolbert. I know, and I wasn't going to bring it up, but yes, they did. And all those people that told me pre-draft that Jalen Tolbert was, I was an alpha and waiting. <laughs> oh, I didn't say alpha and waiting. Some I definitely did. didn't think el- I didn't think healthy scratch with that receiving core. I, that was my question: Is when you're down that far, why do you healthy scratch a guy you drafted high to come in and complement your receiving core? Um, Patriots were another team that a lot of questions in the preseason. We we talked about it in our divisional preview episode. Who's calling plays? Is it going to be good? Is it a combo platter of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge? And if that's the case, is that okay? And the answer so far is it's not okay. (laughs) It doesn't look okay. They don't look in sync. Uh, Mac Jones uh, had a back injury yesterday. He's having back spasms. Like they get hit like he did. I'm not surprised. No, he got pounded. And the Patriots offense for a couple of years now has never been dominant, right? It's been since Tom left. We haven't seen dominance. We've seen competence last year, certainly for Mac Jones, play better than any of the other rookies. We saw them hold up their end. Right now, they're not holding up their end, and they look like they're going to be bringing up the rear in the AFC East unless they can kick the Jets over twice. Which I'm not 100% sure if Zach Wilson's healthy or or that their offensive line is healthy. Which is why the Jets are also on this list. I'm not holding this one against the Jets, though. Again, offensive line injuries galore, backup quarterback. I, there's a lot of, and plus the Ravens are a great team. Not like that. Let's. Not, I'm not holding that against the Jets at all. Um, if the Jets are fully healthy, that would have been a much more competitive game, in my opinion. Like, I, not even a doubt in my mind. And I'm just, I'm kind of stacking up. Okay, fully healthy Patriots versus fully healthy Jets, who's the better team right now? I'm not 100% sure it's the Patriots anymore because what we saw yesterday can only be described as ugly, uh, ugly at worst, concerning at best. And I am I was willing to give the benefit of the doubt to Bill Belichick because he's going to hire who he's going to hire. He's made good coaching hires in the past. I'm My patience is wearing thin already i'm i'm very much over it 
Yeah. On the Jets front, I felt like, and this is a recency bias after yesterday, I felt like, man, the Jets office just hasn't put up very many points for a bunch of weeks in a row. I went back to the end of last season. That's not true. Like they've had 24, 26, 28 games they lost by one or two. So when the Jets offense has all the pieces in place and they have even more with, you know, going out and drafting Garrett Wilson and a healthy quarterback, by the way. Right. <laughs> and when uh, when they have all their pieces in place, they can score points, right? Enough points to win. So it was my bad for feeling like, oh, just remembering those few games where they've scored single digits. More often than not, they've scored in the 20s, mid 20s to high 20s. That's enough offense to win. It's not going to overpower anybody, but certainly enough to hold a game if your defense plays decently. So I'm with you if the Jets get healthy, but we got to be honest, the clock's ticking on Robert Sala because patience is not going to be in long supply going into his third year. If they continue to throw up 11, 12, 15 point games, doesn't matter who's injured. We know that the cumulative effect of that optic is going to be not great. So, you know, the 49ers, Trey Lance, terrible conditions, tougher than expected Bears defense. I, I kind of want to give the 49ers a pass because of everything that happened. And this is what we're getting to is that, you know, it's week one. We don't want to overreact. We're not burying anybody, none of these teams. It's week one. Yeah. But I put together a will fix it list and a not sure they're going to fix it list. And my will fix it list is the Packers and the 49ers. Agreed. I yeah. think Lafleur will get it dialed. Aaron will develop some chemistry with some of those receivers. 49ers, again, are not going to have all the factors that they had this week of, I'm not going to say first game starting of Trey Lance, but first game starting of the Trey Lance era where they've thrown in with him and said, he's our guy. They're not going to have a monsoon. We're going to see defenses better than the Bears and not as good as the Bears. So, Feels like they'll get that figured out, those two teams. The won't-fix-it list, for me, is Cowboys without Dak. Hell no. I just don't think so. They had enough other issues before the Dak injury. Yeah. On top of the Dak injury, we I don't think so. We were already going into the season kind of, you know. And with Dak, it's a huge, whoa. Yeah. And the Patriots, I'm not sure. And now Mac Jones getting dinged on top of that. Not sure anybody they have behind him is equal to him or a relative facsimile thereof. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a Bailey Zappi believer yet. We'll see. Um, so they're in my, mm, and then the jets is how fast do they get Zach back? And do they rebound to form with the extra offensive weapons? So they're my kind of incomplete grade or TBD. Really. I'm not casting aspersions one way or another, but I feel like Packers and 49ers, eh, relax fans. They'll figure it out. The Cowboys and Patriots, mm, they might fix it, but Ooh, there's, there's a lot of evidence that mm, that might not happen. So we'll see as as the weeks progress, but that's the way I see it early on. By the way, uh, random Jets note, Michael Carter out-snapping Brees Hall, Brees Hall so far. There were people that predicted that. I got asked about that on the stream on, on Saturday, whether or not I thought that was a real thing, that that Michael Carter was, was going to be the lead focal piece of this offense overall, not just the lead back. And I said, given this offense, I really think he's set up to be Austin Eckler-like. They need him in the mm. run game. They need him in the pass game. He is glue for this offense. So that, to me, wasn't terribly surprising because of that assessment. 
Um, I think he's a greater or more varied threat in the passing game than Brees is at this point, which means he's more valuable in the modern NFL. Um, doesn't mean that Brees Hall is a bad pick or a bad player or anything else, but right now, yeah, this offense does run through Michael Carter. Yeah, they, they do have a lot of young, exciting weapons, which is why I'm kind of I'm in wait and see mode for the Jets because I'm sorry if you don't have your starting quarterback and you're going against a top tier AFC team like the Ravens. Gonna be a rough day. <laughs> it's gonna be a rough day. Uh, all right, last for three down. Uh, the entirety of the Colts and Texans game, uh, <laughs> and, and there were some positives. I'll start with the positives. Yeah, absolutely. A, a Davis Mills looks like a real quarterback for the Texans, which we talked about in the off season. Like he was. I don't even want to say arguably. He was the second best rookie quarterback last year. Sure. Um, and he looks like a real quarterback for Houston. He had a lot of great moments. Um, he's more than functional. Like functional, I think, is like almost a derogatory term for quarterbacks at this point. He's more than that. Yes. Um, he was good for them. Got it to a 17-point lead, and it just kind of fell apart on him. You know, Matt Ryan, again. Give him his flowers, former MVP quarterback. You have Jonathan Taylor, who's a super weapon at running back. Michael Pittman went off. They were able to storm back, and just neither team could seal the deal in overtime. It was so frustrating to watch that game. Whether you're a Texas fan or a Colts fan, both teams left that game equally pissed because it was very winnable for both of them. And so we put it in three down because... I don't know about you. I came away from that like, how did neither of you win that game? <laughs> that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from this game is that both teams did enough to win, and that's rare, right? Usually one team does more. Sometimes a team does enough to win and, you know, snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. Both of these teams snatched a tie from what should have been victories. If I told you that a starting quarterback had... 352 yards, one touchdown and one pick, that the starting running back on the same team had 161 yards and a touchdown, easy and dub. the leading wide receiver had 121 easy and dub. a touchdown. Oh my God. That is easily enough in the modern NFL to win a football game. Yet they didn't. You know, they only scored three points for the first three quarters of that game. And then, fourth quarter, come tearing back and score 14, 17. Then they tie it. And they can't do it. On the opposite side, if I told you a guy who's on his third team in the last five months has been written off for most of his career was going to have two touchdowns in the first like half for his new team, you would have said, Hello, O.J. Howard. Don't What's believe up? you. O.J. <laughs> Howard's not that guy. Turns out he still can be. If I told you the Texans got two TDs, two sacks, and a pick from Bill's castoffs, and still didn't win, you'd be like, why? Right? Both of these teams did enough to win, and neither of them did, and that's why it ends up in three down, because it's like, come on, pick a winner, and neither of them could. Imagine this Bills pass rush, by the way, if they still had Jerry Hughes, because he, he was amazing. And he's been amazing, honestly, since he stepped foot in Houston. He's been great for them, age and all. Um, yeah, it, it the Texans are a better team than people realize they they have a young young secondary but a very talented secondary um, Derek Stingley played really well had an amazing pass breakup in the end zone Jalen Petre I, I, I can't I lost count of tackles he was all over the, the place. second quarter all over the place he's, a, he's really 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 good um 
like they nailed their their first and second round pick in the secondary. Um, Rex Burkhead definitely got more touches than I wanted uh, compared to Damian and, Pierce, and but didn't Pierce. do a lot. But Pierce was nursing an injury. I saw this in the comments. People yeah. were like, "I think uh, we have another coach that's not going to use Damian Pierce." I was like, "Ah, easy, easy." He was nursing a hamstring. Still got ten carries. Like. He didn't get a full workload, but he's coming back from injuries. It's so a long season. It's coming. I, I get Relax it. Relax on Damian I, Pierce. I he will have, I would say, very soon. As soon as that injury feels good to go for him, we will see in week four, five, or six, he will go off. Um, also, I, I do want to say Michael Pittman, definitely that guy. Um, I know a lot of people were questioning. It's like, okay, well, they had nobody else to throw to last year. No, he's a legitimate number one. He's a legitimate number one. I think that um, Alec Pierce eventually will be a legitimate number two. He's listed as wide receiver two on the depth chart. I played him in fantasy. I got a big old goose egg. I am not deterred. <laughs> okay. That's I the kiss of death, deterred. by the way, for those of you that understand bootleg football. Brett not being deterred means sell him now. He was open. That's what counts. He didn't get the ball. But he was open. I think he only had two targets. He should have had more than that. And again, I'm going to ask Matt Ryan if I see him at the Super Bowl for my hundred bucks back. Um, but Michael Pittman, legitimate number one. Jonathan Taylor. If you have him anywhere outside of your top three running backs, you're just wrong at this point. Matt Ryan, uh, I think, is absolutely going to work out for the Colts. I, I can't remember how many years it's been since the Colts um, didn't lose a Week One opener. It's been a bit. And our next team that we talk about in Three Fun uh, is another one of those teams that uh, many of their fans were like, "I don't know what this feeling is. We we won an opener, <laughs> like I I it's been I can't remember the last one. I think so. it's been, what like eight years since, it's, since, it's since the Colts have won a week one. So, but they didn't lose. They didn't lose. So this is an upgrade. It's an upgrade. I think Colts fans are happy with it. Um, either way. <laughs> Either way, uh, the Texans proved that they're not the worst team in the league, which we could have told you that if you listen to the offseason series. We told you they were not going to be the worst team in the league, and they're definitely not. They have a lot of young, exciting talent. The Colts were down 17 and pulled it together and, and fought back. I think there's positives to take away for both fan bases, but there's also a lot of negatives in the sense of, like, holy shit. But learn how to win a game. They both should have won that yeah, game. Learn how to win a game. You, again, when you do enough to win, there are little things. It's a game of inches, few plays here or there. Like and both teams sputtered, fumbled those away multiple times, and that's probably the takeaway. Is yeah, you both got enough talent to win. You're gonna have to do that thing where we say learn how to win, where teams really come together and learn how to close it out in close games. If you do that, you pick up two, three, four games a year as an NFL team, and both of these teams are gonna have to do that if they want to get the best out of this season. And with that, EJ, let's get to three fun. Yes. Three fun, number one, EJ. Uh, Brian Dable has balls of steel. Like we can talk about, you know, some of the mistakes that led up to the circumstances of the final minute of the Giants game, but the fact that even after the struggles that that Saquon had, dialing up his number when it mattered most to go convert a two point conversion to. Like, you know, screw tying the game. We're not going to kick the PAT and play for overtime. We're going to go win this game. Mm-hmm. And dialing up Saquon's number when you knew he was hungry to try to get redemption, especially after everything he's been through over the last few years. And you saw the emotion of Saquon in the end and how thankful he was to Brian Dable for giving him that chance. 
I think Brian Dable has already won the Giants locker room. It was a great win for them. I think that team is already bought in. And uh, I, I'm very excited for Giants fans because I think this is the first moment in not just multiple years, multiple coaching regimes where I was like, oh, my God, this might actually work. Yeah, <laughs> and you saw it all yesterday on social media, Giants fans reacting, reacting in a very typical way. Oh, God, here we go again. Oh, no, <laughs> these freaking team. Why do we do this to ourselves all day? And then they pull it out at the end. Table with a buck six to go, goes for it, goes for two, says, first game as a coach, I'm going to show them what I'm made of. On the road, maybe a little bit easier than at the home stadium, maybe not. Maybe you would have done it there, too. Says, no, I'm going for it. I'm going to give Saquon redemption. You saw the interaction on the sideline between the two of them. Yeah. It was genuine. Um, in terms of winning the locker room, this is the kind of thing that will win a coach a locker room. Like, they will listen to all the talk in camp. When you start winning games when it counts, that's what cements it. Did you see the headline for the New York paper? No. Day balls of steel. <laughs> It's well, so I got it right then. I got it right then. It's perfect. <laughs> and this just shows that Brian Dable is not here for... Is that really the headline? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Um, so New York media market remains undefeated. This is the thing that sort of can set a coaching tenure for, this is the way I'm going to be. We're not going for second place. We're here to win it, and I will push for you, with you, to get this done um, it's, it's a massive statement to say, I'm not here for all Sarans. I'm not here for development or good character stories. We're here to win football games and we're going to go up against a tough Tennessee team on the road, their home opener. And we're going to do this anyways, and we're going to win it. You know, it is a meritocracy in the NFL. You have to deliver and Dable delivered for his guys and his guys delivered for him. That's what you should be excited about if you're a Giants fan, right? Is that mesh of player, coach, scheme, philosophy, buying in, and then results early, even though they did they played far from a perfect game. Let's be super honest about that. It was a it was a struggle. It was Dable a struggle. managed yeah. around a very pedestrian day from Daniel Jones. I'll say efficient. Right, seventeen for twenty-one, hundred and eighty-eight, two TDs and a pick. Like that is a that is a very midline in the NFL. It's not terrible. Like oh, they won despite him. He, he didn't lose the game, right? And yeah. he didn't win it either. And despite that, Dable finds a way to lean on Saquon Barkley and just run the wheels off him. Eighteen for one hundred and sixty-four at nine point one a rush. And six catches for 30 more yards. Like, he is willing to use or use up Saquon, and Saquon is here for it. Let's be honest. This is this is not territory where he's going to say, and don't he, do that to He me. looked like, okay, I don't know if, if if you got to look at the L22 for that game yet. The burst yeah. is back. Uh-huh. It took a year. It took a whole year. But there was a couple carries he had in that game where I was like, whoa. That guy again. It's it that like, guy oh, again. The, the jump cuts there again. What? Okay. Yeah. Now, nine, we're back in business. 9.1 a rush against a very good Tennessee, very well-schooled Tennessee defense with great safeties, 
hard-hitting defensive line. Jeff Simmons. Jeffrey Simmons was blowing stuff up. Shout out to him. He's back up to his old tricks, which is absolutely massacring opposing offenses. Um, this was a fun and interesting game, but huge for Giants fans because we talked about our individual preview. They need the turnaround after Joe Judge, after Gettleman, after all the disappointment for the last several regimes. This is a breath of fresh air. And it was Giants fans saying, I don't know what this feeling is, winning a week one opener. Like, we haven't done that in forever. See what happens when they don't play the Cowboys in week one? I, You know, <laughs> they might have beat them too this year. But uh, this is huge for Dable and the Giants. And Giants fans should be hopeful. It, it, look, not going to probably run the division. That's not what we're talking about. They have a chance every week. And they're going to take people to the wire. And when they do, they're not going to give up. My one complaint with the Giants, even though this is just three fun, um, the fumbles are, again, Daniel Jones, five sacks, a fumble in the pocket, again. Saquon also fumbled, which was the kind of struggle I was alluding to. Yeah. You know, Brian Dable said, hey, bounce, because I think the fumble was late in the fourth quarter, if I remember yeah. correctly. Hey, bounce back from that. Like, they did get the fumble back from Saquon. They did. They they They'd lost the one it. from yeah. Daniel Jones, but it's like, hey, keep your head up. We're dialing up your number here on the goal line to win the game. Go do it. And he did. Yep. Um, but Daniel Jones, again, five sacks and a fumble lost in the pocket. That is still there, and it's still concerning. But at least they won despite that, which they didn't used to do. I think that's what the MO for the Giants is going forward this season. Is Dable knows what he's got and what he doesn't have. And he's going to do his best to win games with that. Maybe you could say from the quarterback position, and maybe you should say in the modern NFL, despite that, mm -hmm. he knows. Uh, I don't think Daniel Jones is the answer for this team long-term. I think he knows that already, but he doesn't have a choice for this year, and he'll do something different next year uh, because you have to to ascend. Again, they're going to compete to and slightly above their talent level all year, which is exciting, getting the best you can out of the team you have. But I think Dable already knows that Daniel Jones is not someone that is going to go out on a regular basis and win him games. And if you're going to compete with everybody we've been talking about, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, you need somebody like that, and Dable's going to take a swing and try and go find him. Uh, also, side note that has nothing to do with anything uh, from this game, Kyle Phillips, we told you he was going to catch a shitload of balls. We, we, we said since January. <laughs> he was going to be that guy. Uh, he had double the number of catches, the closest Titans receiver. He had six catches, uh, so he's on pace for, what, like 140 or something like that? Uh, and a huge one in the final minute. Yes. And so, yes. again, Tennessee should have won this game, but their kicker missed, and we've already talked about the kickers. But, like, Kyle Phillips, two huge plays. First one draws a penalty. Second one is a long reception down the sideline. Sets up Tennessee to win this game with a kick. So, again, he doesn't kick the ball. He did everything he could to get his team in position, but we told you about Kyle Phillips. Don't be surprised. Uh, I remember going back to my wide receiver rankings. I had him in the same tier as Traylon Burks, and a lot of people took that as an insult to Traylon Burks. It was not. It was a compliment to Kyle Phillips. Yes. He is really, really, really good. So just keep an eye on him. And if he's available in your fantasy league, which he shouldn't be, but if he is, uh, go, go get him. <laughs> go, 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 go get him. Yeah, run, uh, don't walk. Three fun number two. This was a little bit of a throwback that I just thought was really, really nice to see. And that's the nostalgia of it. The vote. nostalgia of it. Uh, yeah. Marcus Marota and Jameis uh, Winston dueling once again, former number one and number two picks, each on their sec. No. 
Marcus is on third team. Each on their not original team. Not on original teams. Uh, both had some really nice plays in the Saints-Falcons game. You know, Falcons went up. Saints kind of clawed their way back into it. Saints offense did struggle a little bit early on. Uh, they they had the, the Taysom Hill wildcat package that kind of, you know, reared its – Something head. Uh, it's weird. It's something head. Uh, they got some points early, and then there was a little bit of struggles because the Falcons' pass rush is legit this year. They got four sacks despite only getting 18 sacks all of last year. They had four this year because Arnold huh. Abikiti got one. Grady Jarrett went weird. off. Uh, Dean Pease called some crazy blitzes. So the Saints' offense struggled at first, but Jameis Winston came back, made some big-time throws in the second half. Like, he... Like, there was some arm strength on some of those where I was like, whoa, I didn't know he had that in him. Uh, he he has a hose there. Uh, and then Michael Thomas beating A.J. Terrell twice for touchdowns on fades, which A.J. Terrell never gives up fades. And Michael Thomas beat him twice for a, a, a kind of, you know, welcome back to the NFL moment. So the Saints uh, really, really played well in the second half of that game. Jameis Winston had plenty of moments. Marcus Mariota. Also had plenty of good moments. There was the one fumble, which was frustrating because he does that too much. Um, but he showed the mobility. Um, I feel like every time they called dagger, it was like free yards. Marcus was hitting that at will. Uh, he overall, I think, played well enough to win the game. You know, the defense, unfortunately, just kind of gave it up in the red zone a couple times late there. But uh, it, it was it was nice to see Mariota and Winston play well again and and be starters again for the first time in a while yeah play and play well again this was the game that i kind of watched out of the corner of my eye uh i was at buffalo wild wings watching all the games sort of taking in week one in its entirety and i i would check in on this game out of the corner of my eye every once in a while and i was like i was waiting for one team to sort of establish dominance and start running away with it but every time i looked over it was like two points apart three points mm -hmm. apart getting down towards it okay we're almost out of time here okay 24 to 26 like it was a it was a battle. It was a duel, and it was fun. You, you look up and see Mariota make a play. Ah, I knew he could still do that. Look up, Winston make a crazy throw, and you're like, whoo! You know, Michael Thomas back first touchdown since 2019. Um, said I have even more than that in the tank. I'm not back yet after that performance. Reminding you that again, when healthy, we saw this from Julio last night. That Julio looked healthy again. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> so it, we forget, and we tend to, I don't want to say write players off, but it, it is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, and when a guy's hurt, Saquon we talked about, Burst took a while to come back. When they finally do, it's really cool to see when they sort of return to their former glory, and uh, Michael Thomas looks like he could do that this year, and that would be a great story down in New Orleans. So fun game, fun duel. Uh, fun storyline that they were picked one, two in the draft and they, you know, have kicked around the league a little bit and are, are back to doing it. But, um, you know, kind of reminded you why they were picked one and two though. You know? Yeah. And again, progression's not linear and this is the, you know, two, uh, primary cases to hold up to the light for progression's not linear. Final, uh, point for three fun here. Number three on the list. Uh, the lions, Again, I know they lost. Heartbreaker it tends to happen to Detroit, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, they had a fun little comeback there late, but they put up 35 points on a very, very strong on paper Eagles defense, and especially DeAndre Swift running for a buck 44, almost 10 yards a carry on a front seven that in no universe should be allowing 10 yards a carry. Um, 
I, I really, really like what the Lions are building. I know they're still in that stage of they're going to lose some games that, you know, are, are frustrating and heartbreakers, and they're going to come close, and they're not going to close the deal. But the fact that they were down so much and then came back and, you know, made it a competitive game and almost were able to win this thing over a, an Eagles team that you predicted to go to the NFC Championship game, um, it was encouraging. And on the Eagles' side, again, good on them for surviving – uh, Jalen Hurts played really well. Yeah. The run game was really good. You know, AJ Brown got a billion targets. I think both teams acquitted themselves well. And even though, you know, obviously defensively, there's some things to clean up for both teams. Offensively, I came away thinking that both teams looked pretty fun. I don't think that many people, if you gave, say, 30 points as the over under for the Lions against Philly would have taken the over, but they did it. 35 on a defense that nobody could stop talking about in the offseason with all the additions, all the improvements, all the draft choices. Everybody's, oh, man, Eagles D is going to be, and they probably still will be, to be fair. Like, they mm -hmm. are, they too need some time to gel with their new parts, but the fact that Detroit came out and laid 35 on them, that DeAndre Swift was a buck 44 running and another 31 receiving, so 170 plus yards for him. And look, Philadelphia gets their flowers too, right? AJ Brown, 10 for 155. Pretty solid addition there, Philly. Good work. And Miles Sanders, we talked about Saquon and Miles from the same draft. He's 13 for 96 at 7.4 per. So, yeah, some things to clean up on defense on both sides, but. You know, both teams came out and sort of did what they said they were going to do in the offseason. It's just I don't think people expected Detroit to do as much of it as Philadelphia did. But we said Detroit's going to be a really tough out this year, and this is more than that. This is a team that's going to beat some people straight up, 35 points of offense. If they can, you know, turn the spigot off a little bit on defense, that's, that's enough to win every week. My one complaint with the Eagles is the same complaint I had with Buffalo. Do not give your quarterback 17 carries. Like, I get it. Yeah. Jalen Hurts has been doing that since he was 18. The problem is he's been, he's been doing, doing that, that since, since he was, he was 18. 18. Yep. Like, it's going to add up. I, I, he's built like a brick shit house. but come on. The thing that makes me just crazy about that is people will talk about running back carries like they're a pitch count. Mm-hmm. And you get to quarterbacks and they're like, what? It's like, like it doesn't matter to them. It's the same, right? And people say it's not the same. I understand the contact and the and the consistency of hard physical contact is not the same. It's not inconsequential. It does add up, and it, people will talk about it at length, especially in the modern game. Everybody's platoon. Nobody's a bell cow back, right? How many carries did he have in college? How much treads left on the tires? You get to a quarterback that runs a lot, and they're like, I, I don't know, 15, 17 carries last week, and you're like, it was more than their running back. That's Jonathan Taylor numbers. It was literally more than their <laughs> running back. So, you, you know, have it one way or another, and the way is count the carries. They all count. So, yes, please don't run your franchise quarterback, current franchise quarterback, into the ground by running him damn near 20 times a game. Uh, all right. We got through all the games. Well, not we all the games. Most uh -oh. of the games. Time to get to our favorite segment of the week. Uh, oh, man, what a cork sound. I know. So good, right? Look at you, Kyo Sherry Cask. Look at you. Look at you, Kyo. Uh, now, we're not doing a shot this week because this is the first week of the season. But it is time for the bootleg shot of the week.
All right. Uh, bootleg shot of the week. You know, our favorite segment, a lot of your guys' favorite segment. I know we have a whole bunch of new viewers that might not have any idea what the hell we're talking about because uh, we picked up quite a few subscribers over the summer. EJ, give a little recap of what the bootleg shot of the week even is. Bootleg shot of the week is big hits from the NFL week. And we have some rules. This is not any hit. We have some rules. We're a civilized podcast. <laughs> Are so, we? <laughs> sometimes. In this particular case, we are. It's got to be a clean hit. No flags. If a hit is flagged, yes, it can be controversial. No, it doesn't qualify for bootleg shot of the week. No shots to the head, period. Even if it wasn't flagged, if it's a shot to the head, we're not putting it in here. And no injuries. If you level somebody and they break their leg, look, we know it's fickle. We know that's going to happen in the sport. We're not going to highlight that. That's not what this is for. This is for big, clean hits. We love them. They are part of the game. We're only going to add the ones that are clean, no shots to the head, no injuries. So those are the rules. If a shot qualifies, send it to us. Send it on social media. Put in the tag, B-S-O-T-W. Uh, you know, put it in our mentions, comments on YouTube, and then you get to vote. So we are going to put up the first slate of week one hits, of which there were many. Almost too many to pick from, to be honest. And you get to vote in the comments on YouTube. Uh, this copy of the podcast. Um, first one we're going to bring up, <laughs> Tay Crowder just blasting Derrick Henry off his feet. Now, this usually goes the other way. Derrick Henry has been a nominee for Shot of the Week because you can nominate both defensive players, offensive players, special teams players as well. Derrick Henry is usually the one running people over. Tay Crowder gave him a taste of his own medicine and depleted Derrick Henry. That by itself gets inclusion into bootleg shot of the week. I didn't even know that physics-wise that was even possible. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it has been. I mean, especially going high on Derrick Henry. Like, he didn't chop him down at the knees. Like, mm. he went high on Derrick Henry and knocked his ass over. So, uh, Tay Crowder, first of all, where's that been? Uh, <laughs> second of all, good job. So, he's our first nominee. Probably will be a very popular one. Uh, my favorite Oof. nominee number two, Derek Forrest. Uh, obliterating Travis Etienne. Um, Travis Etienne, that was probably his welcome to the NFL moment. I know he's a second-year player. First actual regular season game he played in. Uh, Derek Forrest, who is a ridiculous athlete. You look at RAS scores, he's like 9-8. Yeah. Something like that. Like He is big and heavy and explosive and fast. And uh, like my father used to say growing up, F equals M-A. Um, when he hits you, you stay hit. Travis Etienne got just demolished in the flat. And the ball came popping out and went like 10 yards the other way because it was just the absolutely wrong turn and meet incoming missile uh, impact. Goes to Forrest on this one. Um, probably going to garner a large percentage of the votes. It was a dramatic hit. Our third one's one we saw in person in SoFi last Thursday. Josh Allen absolutely palming a Rams defensive back's <laughs> helmet and just stiff-arming him into oblivion. And came out after the game laughing about it. Yeah, during the play. Right. He was giggling as he did it because as the largest schoolboy on the playground will do... When you absolutely physically dominate another player, it's funny. And Josh Allen, in this case, got the better uh, of this particular interaction, but that was our number three. 
Honestly, that play was uh, was yet another example of Josh Allen just being the white Cam Newton because you remember Cam when he would just run over people just, and you would see the photos and he's just like this giant, you know, schoolboy smile like he's having the time of his life physically dominating people. Josh Allen's the same way. I mean, same size, same speed, same He's power. the biggest kid on the playground oh in the NFL my God. right now. And he, he, he enjoys it just yeah. like Cam did. Yeah, for I sure. Miss, I miss old Cam, man. I, I couldn't tell. I, I love Cam's like one of my favorite players ever. I really, I really love him. Uh, anyway, nominee number four, final nominee of the week. Uh, there was a lot of good choices for this. You know, the Minka hit in the end zone, which, well, <laughs> which one? Uh, the, the second one. <laughs> the second one. Multiple Minka hits in the end zone. But uh, we ended up going with uh, Marcus Epps from Philly. Um, little known name. Not a lot of people who don't root for the Eagles even know who Marcus Epps is. He's a safety who had a just hilarious hit you know chopping down uh, a slot receiver on a uh, i think it was like a bubble off play action and they brought a slot blitz and so he was capping over the slot because it was his responsibility to cover the slot uh when the nickel blitzed and uh they threw a bubble and so he was already kind of coming down from depth anyway and so as soon as he as soon as the slot like took a step and then stepped back like he was getting the bubble the safety's like oh i'm gonna get his ass and just like a missile came right at the shins chopped him down got a tfl great play by marcus epps great hit legal hit by the way uh potentially could have ended disastrously if the foot planted a different way, but luckily it didn't. Everybody came out okay, uh, and it was just a really, really fun hit. One of our most common entries in Bootleg Shot of the Week, for those of you that are new to the podcast, and thanks for riding along with us this season. Uh, perimeter screens where the defensive back <laughs> reads it and triggers because they are full head of steam, balls in the air, there's nothing to be done. The receiver can either put his hands up and get annihilated or just watch it sail over his head. Either way, he's going to get mashed. So most of them will try to make the reception. This one, again, his sole responsibility coming from depth, coming from up high, and was already moving. And once the receiver took that step back, was moving double time because he knew what was coming. Yeah, a lot of good nominees this week. So, uh, again, vote in the comments. Uh, especially in the comments on this video for who you want for bootleg shot of the week. And then I don't know what we're going to shoot next week, but maybe, not this. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we can't waste that. Maybe I'll break out the absinthe or something like that. I'll make oh. it, I'll make it hurt. I'll make oh, it hurt. please don't. If, I get, if we get at, like, at least a hundred votes, I'll break out the absinthe. A hundred votes for the absinthe. You heard him folks. Hit it. Votes. <laughs> we'll, we'll pin a comment at the top. You guys right. can vote there. Final segment here. Our week two watch list. Uh, these are all the games that we can't, Wait can't to miss. watch. Can't miss. Uh, week two, char uh, Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night football, which obviously we're going to be watching anyway because we're doing our Thursday night live stream, as we mentioned earlier. Again, if you want to watch the game with us, we're going to be doing commentary, analysis, all that kind of stuff. Uh, come a half hour before kickoff on Thursday night. We're rolling all the way through post game uh, for our live commentary stream for that. Uh, and then on Sunday, Vikings Eagles, potentially an early playoff preview for the NFC. Dolphins-Ravens, a uh, little bit of an intriguing revenge game for the Ravens, who got absolutely pantsed by Miami last year. <laughs> they were dealing with a lot of injuries, though. They're a lot healthier this time around, so yep. who knows? Maybe Lamar goes Super Saiyan. Uh, Bucks-Saints, always an entertaining matchup because the Saints, for whatever reason, are the one defense that Tom Brady cannot crack. Uh, even though they've lost a couple pieces this year, but hey, it's still Bucks-Saints. It's still going to be entertaining. And then honorable mention, 
for the record, EJ, I'm not saying this will be a good game, nope. but it might be a close game, or at least a lot closer than we're used to, Bears-Packers. Now, if this were a full-strength Packers team, this probably would not be a close game. But because they're not full-strength, the Bears have a legitimate chance, not good, but legitimate chance of going 2-0 to start the season, which I cannot remember the last time I even thought of that as a faint possibility, but here we are. And they're rolling in with momentum. This is a team that's playing together and having fun. Did they make a ton of mistakes? They did. They didn't play a super clean game, but neither did the Packers. This Packers sort of team looks like they have some chinks in their armor early to kind of work out. Bears are rolling in with momentum. This is at least an evenly matched game, which it hasn't even been that for a very long time. So it's the sort of under the radar, interesting, keep your eye on it, might surprise you kind of game, whereas the other games there, Chargers, Chiefs, Superpower shootout in the AFC West, giant robots fighting each other, Vikings, Eagles, two of the power teams in the NFC, the other conference if you want to this year, Dolphins, new coach, looking certainly a new look offense against Ravens, very powerful defense with, like you said, almost full strength, lots less injuries than last year. And Buck Saints, which is always just, you just watch Buck Saints. You just don't not watch Buck Saints. It's just good TV. It's always good TV. So that's going to make the watch list every time it comes on the schedule. Uh, All right. What you got coming out this week on Bears Over Beers? Uh, Bears Over Beers, uh, my other podcast, new for this year. Uh, We're going to be taking a little bit of a different approach. My co-host and IJB are both going to pick one Bears player and watch the All-22 all the way through and just highlight that player's performance for the week. Uh, That'll be coming out on Thursdays. What do you got for Film Room? I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, Originally, (laughs) originally I was thinking, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a Von Miller episode. Um, but depending on what we see tonight, which we are like an hour and a half away from kickoff, we got to go catch the we, train to go. We got to go. <laughs> got to go to the Seahawks game. It's starting like immediately. Um, depending on what happens tonight, I might do a film room on that game. So I'm, I'm kind of playing it by ear, but I have a topic picked out just in case this is a dog of a game. Not that I think it will be, but yeah, chances of that happening. Nil. Not happening. But so. we got to get there. We got to run our, yeah, we run gotta, our butts up. We got to go to a train like right now. Yeah, we got to so. go catch a train. Uh, um, we want to thank our executive producers, Marat, Consti, Caden, and Andrew. You guys have stuck with us for a long time. We appreciate you. This is a very long podcast episode. And I think all the Tuesday recaps are probably going to be fairly long. So uh, if you have a very long commute or you happen to be a truck driver, which we happen to have a whole bunch of those in our audience, <laughs> uh, this is going to be a good season for you because we have a lot more content coming your way. Come back on Thursday for the TNF live stream for Chiefs Chargers. And then next Tuesday, we got our week two recap coming out. Uh, we're going to be recording that one in Dallas because we're going to Bengals Cowboys next week. So if you're going to be at that game, let us know. We'll come say hi. And uh, until then, EJ. One last time. Cheers. Absolutely. Thanks for riding with us. Take care. We'll see you soon.